The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. Thanks, guys. You can have a seat. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in our moments and times of plenty, we can praise you. And thank you that in our moments and times of need, we can praise you. Thank you that regardless of if our life is going well, everything is, is just clicking along perfectly, that we can look to you and know that our ultimate needs are met not on what we have provided, but in what you have provided. And thank you that when our life is going anything but perfectly, when there is death and disappointment and destruction and worry and strife and wonder and pain, and even in those circumstances, we can look to you and know that we can rest in you. We can have hope and joy because what we ultimately need is found in you. Lord, it can be so easy to come in to church. It can be so easy to come in to live our lives thinking that what we are judged by and what we rest in is what we have accomplished on our own. It's through our hard work and dedication and striving. And Lord, that's why you are pleased with us. And yet we know from your word we know from the gospel that the reason that we are good with you, the reason that we can enter in with thanksgiving and praise, the reason that we can enter in with confidence, as Hebrews says, is not because of what we have accomplished. It's not because of how good we have been. It's not because of the position that we have made for ourselves. But it is because through your son and faith in your son, we have been declared righteous. Lord, help us to rest in that glory. Help us to rest in that, in, in, in that reality that we are good before you because of Christ. Lord, as we get to turn to your word once again and get to look at Jesus and his ministry and his interactions, Lord, help us to love your son more this morning by understanding and by recognizing who he is our Savior and our God. Just be with us now in your son's name. Amen. Well, I would encourage you to turn to the Gospel of John. We're going to be continuing in our story this morning, picking up verse 12 of chapter 8. Have you ever been in such a dark place that you can feel the darkness? I'm not meaning actually darkness of despair. I'm meaning physical darkness. Like the lights are out, you cannot see any light, and it is so dark that you can feel it. I've gotten to experience this twice in my life. It's actually been in the exact same place in the exact same room both times. Once when I was a child, once when I was an adult. When I was a child, my, my parents took me to Mammoth Caves, just a couple, couple hours north of here, National Park. Went to the visitor center, got to experience the tour, got to see the giant opening that they have, the giant room, and then we took the tour. 
And during the tour, you're weaving through the caves and seeing all of the things that they like to point out and talking about the history and how it was created. And they take you into this room. You've been walking now for about 30 minutes into this cave. All these, all these string lights are around that is um, illuminating your path there. And you enter this one room and there's, there's benches on the ground. Maybe you've been in this room. Maybe you've taken this tour. Then you have the park ranger, the tour guide there, talks about all of the various things that's going on. And she says, okay, sit in your seat. We're going to shut the lights off. I went there as a kid. I'm sitting next to my dad. And the reason I know that is because this moment has been ingrained in my mind. Because this was the moment when I realized that you could feel darkness. Because it shut the lights off. And I've never been in a place more dark. Because at night, you can see stars, or you could see, if there's no stars in clouds, you can see airplanes, or you could see the haze of lights in the distance. But when you're in a cave, so deep that darkness cannot penetrate it, there is no darkness. You, you can't see anything. You can put your hand in front of your face and can't see your hand. And at that moment, I was terrified. And I clung to my dad's arm. Because at that moment, I realized something. I needed the light. As a creature, we need light. We, we physically need light. I mean, this is why our, if we live in darkness, our circadian rhythms get thrown off. We need vitamin D. We got to start taking those supplements. There's even that thing of seasonal depression, right? Because even the outside world gets a little gloomy. Well, I got to experience this again when I took my kids back to that room. And we did the tour. And I was the dad that my daughter was hanging on to. And I actually had the exact same weight and almost the exact same kind of scary feeling of like, can somebody turn the lights back on? Because I need that light. Well, if we are creatures that were created for physical light and we need the sun, as our spiritual lives, we also need light. And in our spiritual life, in sin, we live in darkness. And that darkness is something that we feel. That darkness is something that we experience. That darkness is a scary reality. That darkness is something that we are longing for any sort of light that we can possibly find. And for us, we are willing to turn on artificial lights just to make our lives just a little bit more easy to live with. But those artificial lights are just like the artificial lights of our day. They don't provide for us the, the, the blessing that the sun is in our physical lives. Today, as we continue in John, what we're going to see is that we get to find the true light that we all need. And I'm not talking about the sun, the physical sun. I'm talking about the spiritual sun. I'm talking about Jesus because John and Jesus declares who Jesus is. If you will, read with me John 8, 12 through 30. That's going to be our passage this morning. We've got a lot of cover, so let's jump into it. And again, Jesus spoke to him saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's a crazy statement. So the Pharisee said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. This testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. 
But you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, but I judge no one yet. Even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father, because if you knew me, you would also know my father. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. And where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? And Jesus said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this earth. I am not of this earth. I told you that I would die. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say to you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. And they did not understand that he had been speaking to, him, to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he said these things, many believed in him. It's a big section that we have to cover this morning. And so I wanted to give just a little bit of structure to it. I don't always do this in sermons, but there's going to be three points of structure that I'm going to offer here. What we're going to see in this passage is that there's a declaration from Jesus. That's what we get at the very beginning. We're going to then look at our association with Jesus. And then finally, we're going to look at the verification of Jesus. But before we do any of that, we have to acknowledge what this opening statement is. This is one of the I am statements. The I am statements in John, there's seven of them. This is the second of the I am statements. We interacted with the first I am statement back in 635. If you can think back there, we saw the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus was in the wilderness with his disciples teaching. It was evening time. The disciples wanted to send uh, the crowd away, the 5,000 number of crowd away, because they're going, we don't have any food. Jesus, from a few loaves and fish, fed 5,000 people. And then in John 635, as people are really questioning what just happened, what did we see, what's going on here, Jesus says this. He said, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What Jesus was saying in that statement is, you are looking for a meal to fill your belly. I am the meal that will fill your souls. Well, this statement that we read in John 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, is the second of the I am statements. But this one has a little more subtle connection to the book than what the bread of life declaration had. 
Because this information, as you're reading this, you might go, why all of a sudden did Jesus say, I am the light of the world? That kind of comes out of nowhere. This information was known to the original audience because they understood the feast that they were a part of. It, one of the things that we've been talking about in this whole section, 7 through 10, is that this is all taking place during the Feast of Booths. And as we said from the very beginning, the Feast of Booths is setting up uh, the Israelites and the religious leaders to understand who Jesus is perfectly. Well, here Jesus has this declaration, you would think, out of the blue, I am the light of the world and whoever uh, follows me will not walk in darkness. You might go, where'd that come from? Well, during this feast, they celebrated several things. We looked at a couple of weeks ago how, how they celebrated um, God offering the living water for them in the, in the wilderness journey because the Feast of Booths is... is um, remembering God's faithfulness that God had towards Israel in the wilderness. And there was this procession from the water basins, from the pool of Siloam, all the way up to the temple. Well, there was something else that was going on during this feast. And that was the lighting of basins, the lighting of, of cauldrons, the, the lighting of lamps. And I, I actually, as I was trying to dig into this this week, I found commentators disagreed a little bit. Some commentators said that every single evening, these lamps would be lit around the courtyard of the temple. Other commentators said it was just on one particular night. But regardless, there was a moment during the feast when these giant cauldrons would be lit. Now, before you are just picturing in your mind like one little candle, you got to multiply that. You got to think of like... I'll, I'll go back to my history. Think about your, 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 the best redneck bonfire that you've ever been a part of, okay? Pallets have been piled up. Somebody who should not have been close to the gasoline was allowed to pour gasoline on this sucker. Somebody had, a, had said the phrase, hey, y'all, watch this. Everyone backs up and this thing goes up in smoke. There's four of these suckers and they're all around the temple. So regardless of where you were in the city at that time, when these lamps were lit, you would see this ball of fire and that you would see this smoke going upwards. And the reason that they lit these lamps was to remind everyone about God's faithfulness in the wilderness wanderings. Because think back to what happened every single day in the wilderness wanderings. The thing that was present with Israel from the very beginning of their 40 year wanderings. The pillar of fire in the pillar of clouds. We can see in Exodus 13, as Israel is walking out of Egypt, they got to see all of these plagues go down. They're just about to cross the Red Sea. And maybe somebody in their mind is saying, I'm not so sure I want to go on this journey alone. God gives them a sign. Here's what it says. This is Exodus 13, 21 and 22. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them all the way and by night a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. And the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. I know not all of you are the best at, at um, directions. Some of you, are your life is so much better now that there's GPS on your phone at all times. But imagine that you went on this journey out over this wilderness. And you're going, where am I supposed to go? The directions were very simple. Stay by the pillar. And God is going to lead you. And what the nation of Israel demonstrated to us and to themselves over this 40-year wilderness wandering is that God never left them. Well, here at this Feast of Booths, this is what Israel is celebrating. 
God never left us. Even when we thought all was lost, God never left us. Even when we were in in dark places and we didn't know which direction to go, God never left us. And they're celebrating God's faithfulness to Israel. They knew God was in the cloud. God was in the fire. When they saw that pillar, what they saw was, this is God, we're going to stay close to him. That's what the original readers understood. If you went to the Feast of Booths, that's what you would experience. When they saw those lamps being burned, they, they, they went, that's thanking God for being God and for staying with us. Then all of a sudden, as Jesus is teaching at the temple, as crowds are coming to him, he offers a declaration that is mind-blowing. He offers a declaration that caught everyone off guard and offers a declaration that we all need to hear. That he is the light of the world. This declaration is both simple and all-encompassing. I mean, just hear it again. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's simple. Jesus is saying, I am the light that you have been waiting for. I can imagine him stating, saying this for the first time and pointing to the cauldron that is on fire and saying, what you've been worshiping, what you are celebrating, that thing, I'm that thing. What walked you through the wilderness in those dark places, I am he who you've been waiting for to finally come and give you the spiritual light that we all long for, that's me. But it's all encompassing. The reason it's all encompassing is because Jesus is the only light. He didn't say, I'm a light of the world. He didn't say, I'm one of the lights of the world. He said, I'm the light of the world. You know, if you walk into a house and it's dark, no one has to tell you to look for a light switch. There's an assumed need In the same way, when these pilgrims journeyed to Jerusalem to celebrate in the Feast of Booths, no one had to tell them that they're looking for the spiritual light to make their life better. In the same way, I don't have to tell you that we, spiritually speaking, need to look for that light that will make our lives better. Just just this morning, I'm going to have an interesting illustration. I'm going to have an illustration about trying to find an illustration. So, as I was sitting down, I was trying to figure out where where to go to next in the sermon. I thought, oh, this would be great. I should offer a quote where somebody describes how we all need, we're all longing for something in our life. There's this hole in our life, this God-shaped hole in our life that only God can fill. Let's go try to find some some quote out there that I can quote here where, where somebody smarter than I is stating the fact that we all need something in our life. So I looked in, in, in my library and books, didn't really find anything that I liked. So I turned to the next best thing, Google. That's right, pastors, Google some of these things. Most illustrations, if you're like, how do you come up with that? Google. Google's amazing. So, I started by typing in Google in the search of like, there's something missing in my life. Look through the list. Didn't find anything. There's an aching in my heart. Look through the list. Didn't find anything. There's something more to life. Look through the list. Didn't find anything. And tried a couple other things. All of them kind of looking at this, this longing aspect of like something not there. I need something. I'm in darkness. 
after about four or five of these, here's what I noticed. Every single one of the top search results were songs. Like I kept unnecessarily quoting songs. I mean, and popular guys from all different genres, old and new, quoting from songs that clearly state these words in these songs and call to mind. So Google thought, oh, you're looking for this song. And that's when I just stopped and went, I don't have to think of an illustration for this. Because if our world is describing this longing all the time, turn on the radio, listen to your favorite artist. He's probably got some song that highlights this. Right now, you, this week, proved in your life that you're longing for life to be better. There's something going wrong because we live in a broken and dead and sinful world. Even as believers, even, even as we live in, in, in the light, as it says, we are still pushing back the darkness. We still experience the darkness because we're in this body of death. Sin is still a part of our lives. I don't have to prove to you that as humans, we need something more. Imagine Christ Jesus as, as our faithful shepherd, as the Lamb of God, came to this world, came to this feast, sat down, or sat down in front of pilgrims, weary pilgrims who were just trying to find hope and rest and declare to them, I am what you are waiting for. This is an all-encompassing declaration because the only thing that can actually answer that aching in our life fully is Christ. But he's looking out at a bunch of people that are trying a whole bunch of things. He's looking at a bunch of people saying, it's great that you're at this festival, but this festival is not going to satisfy that aching in your life. It's great that you're, that you're trying these spiritual disciplines, but these spiritual disciplines are not going to satisfy this aching in your life. It's great that you're trying this new pursuit, but that pursuit is not going to satisfy this aching in your life. What Jesus says is, I am the only light of the world that is going to offer you hope. What's interesting about this declaration, there's also a tone of judgment in it. Like I, I can almost hear and see Jesus sitting behind, sitting in a courtroom behind the, the judge's bench. And as he says this, I am the light of the world, striking the gavel on the bench and saying, it's complete. What you're looking for is me. Jesus is declaring that the verdict has always been there, that the light that we are all striving for is him. But notice how the people and the Pharisees respond. They don't like this judgment. They don't like this judgment at all. The first thing they do is they go back to viewing Jesus as if they're in a courtroom. They go, excuse me, sir, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. That doesn't work with our logic. We don't believe you. Which brings us to our second point. What's your association with Jesus? So many people disagree with, with this verdict. That Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the only light of the world. 
So many people want to offer second options. So many people want to offer a mix of options. So many people want to push back. And it's almost as if when Jesus declares, I am the light of the world, immediately our world wants to draft an appeal. No, I don't agree with that. Let me try something new. This is really what's going on. We're not going to, for the sake of time, not going to jump into it. This is really what's going on from like verses 13 all the way through 20. They don't accept their statement because according to their, to their rules, these Pharisees' rules, this is not a valid statement. There's not enough witnesses. There's insufficient information. They just reject this claim altogether. But here's the thing. Regardless if you agree with this statement, regardless if you accept this verdict or not, Jesus' statement is true. Do you hear that? What we don't have to prove in life is that Jesus' statement is true. What we have to worry about is not whether Jesus is there or not. No, the thing we have to worry about is what is your association with Jesus? There's very few things in life that are simple, right? Very few. And I, I, we, the, the older I get, the more I'm like, man, life's complicated. But here's what's simple. You're either walking in the light or you're walking in darkness. That's where he goes in verse 23 through 24. When they, they get through all of the, all of the um, accusations and trying to push back on all this stuff. And here's what Jesus says. He says, listen, listen, listen. You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. And I told you that you would die in your sins unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus doesn't say, doesn't matter what, whether you agree with this verdict or not. It doesn't matter how you view this. It's very simple. If you don't believe in me, you will die in your sins. And he creates this appropriately us and him paradigm. You either believe in me or you will die in darkness. I mean, these are two antagonistic realities. There's no way to make these realities mix. Are you of this world or are you of Christ? Are you believing in him or are you believing in yourself? Are you walking in the light or are you walking in darkness? I mean, think about all the things that we're concerned about in life. Some of them are vital for life and death. Some of them are whimsical in nature. But think about all the things that occupy your time and attention. All the things on your to-do list. All the realities that, that you're concerned for your kids over. Of whether they grow up to be upstanding citizens and all the various things that we're trying to, to teach them. There's a plethora of things that we spend our time focusing on. But the most important condition and demands that are on our life it's simple. What is your association with Jesus? He makes it unavoidably clear. He doesn't allow them to get stuck in their underwear of pulling in all of the law stuff of whether your testimony is true or not. He goes, listen, do you believe in Jesus? We're, we're really at the heart of what we've been talking about for this whole section where, just think back to how we started this section of the Feast of Booths. What is Jesus doing? He's comparing, he's contrasting the kingdom of this world 
in the kingdom of God. He's, he's, he's contrasting the city of man and the city of God. And right here he opens it up and goes, you are from the city of, this, of man. You are from the kingdom of, of this world. I am from the city of God. I am from the kingdom of God. Those two things are incompatible except for whether you have faith in Christ. Because what we like to do is while living in the kingdom of man in our own cities is we like to make these artificial lights that look like light, that look like they can satisfy, that look like they can appease that aching in our soul. But they don't because they run out. And here Jesus gets down to it and it is very simple. Are you going to believe in me? The only possibility of escaping sin the only possibility of escaping eternal death is belief in Jesus. I, I'm going I'm, I'm to be crystal clear. I'm going to say it again. The only possibility of escaping sin is belief in Jesus. Think about how in our Christian lives we can have <laughs> so much more complicated answers. You can go, it's belief in Jesus and it's plus a whole bunch of other stuff. Jesus doesn't do that. Unless you believe in me, you will die in your sin. So what's this belief look like? Because as I said, we like to take this belief in Jesus and we like to expound it out to a whole bunch of other stuff. Well, I, I, I pulled from a man much smarter than me, R.C. Sproul. You can never go wrong when you quote R.C. And he says this. The Protestant reformers recognize that biblical faith has, faith has three essential aspects. I'm going to stop there. I don't know Latin. R.C. knows Latin. I can't. I'm not even going to try to uh, pronounce these words that are, that are um, before me now. But here's what they mean. I'm going to translate them for you. Mind, emotions, and will. The mind. What does belief in Jesus look like? Well, it's focusing on the mind. It refers to the content of faith or those things that we believe. We place our faith in something, and more appropriately, someone. You're actually believing in the person of Jesus. Uh, this belief in Jesus looks at the emotion, our conviction that the content of our faith is true. We're actually trusting that what Jesus is said is true. The person of Jesus is true, and what he said is true. And then finally, our will. This faith refers to the personal trust and reliance. Knowing and believing the content of the Christian faith is not enough. Faith is only effectual if knowing about and assenting to the claims that, of Jesus, one personally trusts in him alone for salvation. I mean, it is belief. I, that, that word sums up all these things. But it's, it's in the mind. It's in the emotions. It's in the will. It's trusting. I'm good before God because of Christ. Notice what's not in that. What's not in that is being able to explain why Jesus is our only hope in life and death. I mean, we hope that you understand that. But the theological realities around that, it, Jesus, God's not going to give you this theological test when you get to heaven and go, can you, can you answer all the right questions? No. It's also not in here and also living a good life. I mean, we hope that you do that. Because if you've been saved by Christ, we hope that you want to honor him with your life. But Jesus isn't, God's not going to, you're not going to get to heaven and God's not going to say, okay, have you lived a good enough life in order to be here? No, because that would nullify Christ. Now, you're going to get to heaven and God's going to go, what, 
Why do you think you belong here? And you're gonna say, because I believe that Jesus did enough. Because I believe that Jesus is the light of the world. Now, that claim is mind-blowing. That claim, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, heard this claim as the shocker that it actually was. That's why in the very beginning of this passage, they go, I don't believe you. That's absurd. That's crazy. That's not enough. Look how Jesus verifies that he is who he says he is. He does that at the end of this passage. 27. They didn't understand what he had been speaking about the Father. So I can, I, I can hear Jesus being like, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And then you will know that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I will always do the things that are pleasing to him. The verification of why Jesus is who he says he is, is the death of himself. And he says this, and he prophesies this, when you have lifted up the Son of Man. He's looking at them saying, when you have killed me, then you will know. This, this statement is a paradox. It's a paradox because it's combining the most humiliating and cruel act of the ancient world with a title of honor. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, focusing towards the crucifixion, and as we near the end of this gospel, we're going to be start talking a lot more about the crucifixion because Jesus is and because it's coming. When you've lifted up the Son of Man in that humiliating manner at the time that you thought you were killing the, Jesus, when you thought you were finally um, ridding the world of this problem, when you raise him up then, you will understand that his title is true. It's a remarkable statement because through the very act of them trying to silence Jesus, the crucifixion, they will finally and fully confirm Jesus to be who he says he is, the son of man. And we get to see that because when Jesus is raised up, we get to see all of these other witnesses surrounding the cross. And, and I think awestruck and dumbfounded, you're like, we missed it. He actually is the light of the world. They set out to invalidate Jesus in the end. But what they're actually going to do is verify Jesus. Jesus said this statement to these Pharisees as a future reality. One day very shortly is coming when you are going to raise me up on the cross and try to kill me. And you'll succeed in bodily form. But in that moment that you kill me, you are going to usher in the full weight of who I am because I am going to be dying not for my sins, but for somebody else. And he said, at that moment, you, you will know that I am who I say I am. But when, re, when we read this statement, it's not a future reality, it's past tense. So I can sit here today and say the declaration that Jesus offers us that he is the light of the world, something that we can't get around and the association that we need to be concerned with. Are we with him? Are we against him? Are we in darkness? Are we in the light? Are we from above or are we from below? Is verified and is demonstrated to us by Jesus' death on the cross. 
It's so easy for us to get caught up in the rat race of life and all of the other well-meaning principles that, that we want to follow and for us to forget the most important reality. Are you associated with the light? I want to take you back to that cave. Start as sin. We sat in that darkness for what seemed like an eternity. It probably was about a minute. Do you know the silence that we had at the beginning of service? I asked us to be silent. It was that silent in the cave. But they never said to be silent. Like everyone just knew. Don't move. Try not to breathe. Don't make a sound. We're not supposed to be here. And then eventually, that tour guide up front turned on a flashlight. And luckily she didn't turn it on like this, like right in front of her face, it scares all. But turn on a flashlight. And that panic started to leave us. Because we were like, oh, once again, we, we see the light. But we all knew we needed to walk out of the cave and get back to the light that we were created for, that light from the sun. In our Christian lives, we can so, we can be temporarily put to ease because we can see one of these artificial lights that's offered to us. Here, this will satisfy your soul. Try this. Here, this is going to answer your problems. Try this. Here, this is going to be the answer to everything. And we can run down that path. We can run down the path of sin. We can run down the path of blindness. We can run down the path of whatever it is. Thinking this is the light that is going to illuminate the rest of my life. This is the light I've been waiting for. But as long as we're holding an artificial light. One day the batteries are going to run out. One day we're going to start to realize that's, that's not what we were created for. And then we're going to jump to some other light and go, oh no, this is the light you've been waiting for. This is the sin that will satisfy. This is the response to everything. Well, here's what I can declare to us all this morning. The light that we also desperately need is Jesus. And he came to this earth and took on flesh and died for us, died for our sin. Because do you know the craziest reality of the gospel? Is that the judge that declared the verdict that he is the light of the world took on the punishment of the one who is on trial. Do you get that? The judge bangs his gavel on the bench and says, you are guilty, you are in darkness, you need something outside of you. And that same judge took on flesh, lived in our suffering. Like he, as Hebrews says, he suffered for us, he understands our sufferings. Took on flesh so that he could take on the punishment for our sins. So that we can walk in light with him. I mean, the gospel is an amazing reality. If you're here this morning and 
you would describe yourself as being stuck in darkness. Or maybe you would describe yourself as, I'm just trying to satisfy my soul because I know I need something outside of me. And you are not looking to Christ. I would plead with you, turn from your sin and look to Christ. Because the reality that he states is true. I told you that you would die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. You will die in your sins. I have a very simple declaration. The most important reality in your life is who you associated with. Everything else can go awry. Seriously, everything else. But who are you associated with? If you're here this morning and you would say, I don't think it's Christ, I would ask that you come talk to me after the service. You come talk to an elder after the service. You talk to your neighbor after the service and go, I think I need, I think I'm associated with the wrong person. Help me. Because we'd love to talk more about this with you. As we transition to communion, we have an opportunity to celebrate that the light that we so desperately needed came to this earth, took on flesh, and died for us. And we get to celebrate that in, by um, partaking of this bread and juice together. I would ask that you're, if you're here and you are struggling, you are questioning whether you're associated with the right thing, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you get to hear this amazing gospel reality, this amazing story, because that's why it's given to us so that we might know how we can rest in Christ. But what I would ask is that you don't partake of this meal with us because we don't want it to confuse you. We don't take these elements to save us, even to fill us up. We take them to celebrate the finished work of Christ. But if you are here, and you are a, a believer, and you are trusting and resting in Christ, we would invite you, we would encourage you to take this as a body together as we look not to ourselves and not to our own life and to our own lights that we can produce, but to Christ. Let's pray and we can take this together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if we are in you, we don't have to fear. That terror that can surround us as we're standing in pitch darkness isn't there. Because when we're with you, we're walking in the light. Lord, help us in our lives as ambassadors for you, as your children, as your heirs, to be lights shining in a dark world. As First Peter says, and as this image of, of, of us going out into the world, showing them you in us radiating to this dark world. Lord, help us to be your witnesses. Help us to be your ambassadors. Help us to be your examples of the hope that a person can have when they trust, not in their own works, but they place their trust in Christ. Be with us now as we take this table. In your son's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation from Community Bible Church. For more information, please visit us at 6005 Edmondson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee or online at cbcnashville.org.